Welcome to today's Voices of Conservation Science. This is a podcast that focuses on people doing science that's then used to conserve natural resources. I'm Andrea Litt, and I'll be your host for today's episode. And today, I'm here with Maddie Lewis, who's a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology. Hi, Maddie. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, let's start with having you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and your background. Okay. Uh, I'm from Poughkeepsie, New York, originally. I started my undergraduate education at South Dakota State University, and then I finished up my last two years at University of Montana, where I got my bachelor's degree in aquatic wildlife biology in May of 2018. You made some big jumps there. Yeah. Worked my way across the country. Absolutely. Yep. And during my time as an, as an undergrad, I spent three summers doing field work in Idaho, first volunteering on a bull trap monitoring project with the Forest Service, and then I worked on a snorkel crew with Idaho Fishing Game for two summers. So did you guys know you were interested in fish? Uh, not really. I didn't grow up in a family that fished at all. Um, but in my senior year of high school, my parents moved to a house on a lake, and I taught myself how to bass fish, and that was kind of the beginning of my uh, interest in fisheries. You just were looking for something to do and decided, I'm going to teach myself to fish. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. <laughs> um. Was there something besides that experience that really compelled you to go into a career in conservation, or was there a particular person? Um, kind of moving to Montana. So I was at South Dakota State, and I changed my major at least four times. <laughs> uh, and then I came out to work on a guest ranch in Montana my first summer at South Dakota uh, to join my sister out here, and I learned how to fly fish. And that was kind of the beginning of the end that turned into everything I did with my free time, and I came out for a second summer, and then after that, I just couldn't imagine leaving, and I wanted to spend as much time as possible on the river, so led me to fisheries. So changing it not from just your hobby, but to something that you were also hopefully going to get paid for as yes, well. Yes, yeah. Well, that's excellent. Um, you said you changed your major four different times. What what other things did you consider? I started in range science, uh-huh. uh, and then I went to... General environmental science. Okay, science, science. Yeah, then I went into engineering. So oh, I was okay. Ag and biosystems engineering, uh, then civil and environmental engineering, <laughs> and then back to environmental, and then when I went to Montana, I narrowed in on fisheries. You know, I think sometimes when uh, we talk to students about their paths, you know, it sounds so linear at the time because mm-hmm. you're looking back. But there's really a lot, for a lot of us, there are these these side paths that, that happen. And for me, it was, I, I thought I wanted to major in chemistry, <laughs> but ended up not doing that. Yeah. Um, what, was there anything when you're making those decisions that, that really you weren't happy about? Or you I mean, it seems like you had science in there for all of those, for a lot of those majors, at least. So yeah. you knew you were, you were headed in that track. Mm-hmm. Uh, calculus was, <laughs> was one of the deciding factors for engineering. But I really just wanted to, I wanted to feel like I was making a difference kind of out in the environment. Mm-hmm. And so for a while, I thought I could only do that through engineering and actually designing these things. Um, but being out in Montana and seeing the work that fisheries biologists do, I realized you, could, you can really make a difference as a biologist. That's a really a valuable part of our, of our profession and a really rewarding part. Mm-hmm. You talked about calculus as potentially being a hurdle um, for the engineering. Did you face any other hurdles as you, you made it through those those paths? Yeah, I was a little concerned when I 
had first, when I made the decision to move to Montana, that I didn't have any fisheries experience, and I had just changed my major, just changed schools, so I didn't have academic references. Uh, so I was worried about kind of getting field work and getting experience, and it seemed like to get into grad school, you needed to know exactly what you wanted to study. And <laughs> so that always felt like a bit of a pressure, but I got really lucky and I got the volunteer position with Forest Service for a summer. And after that, everything kind of fell into place. So it was just invaluable experience in the field and got great references. And it also kind of introduced me to bull trout, which I'm still working on today. So we'll get to bull trout here in a second. Uh, I want to go back to what you were talking about, about maybe not having a network of, of people because you changed, you changed majors, you changed locations and networking. It seems um, so important in this field of being connected to people that can give you good recommendations or that know that you're looking for a job or can refer you to somebody else. And it's really about somebody taking a chance on you, right? Mm -hmm. and, and letting them, letting you then show, show everybody what you're capable of. And so it's great that you had, you had that in, even though you might not have had that full network in place. Yeah. Um, sounds like the path maybe wasn't always smooth. Do you see any benefits for for having taken this path where you, you made you made these leaps? Did it force you to do anything differently? I think it kind of it made me really confident when I finally decided on fisheries that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and it allowed me to kind of experience the real world in the middle. I took a year off uh, when I transferred schools. So it was definitely good to get some real world kind of experience and just know with confidence that fisheries is what I wanted to do. Yeah, sometimes we don't maybe take the time to to explore things and think we have to know exactly what's what. So it's great that you had that, that opportunity. You mentioned bull trout, bull trout being um, the species that you're working on currently for your research. Mm -hmm. Will you tell us, just introduce us to the bull trout before we get to your research questions. Tell us a little bit about the species. So bull trout are a species of char, and they're native to the northwestern United States. Uh, and bull trout have really specific habitat requirements. So they require relatively pristine habitats with cold, clean water and open migratory corridors. And habitat degradation and fragmentation, non-native species, have all led to general declines in bull trout throughout their native range. And bull trout were listed as threatened under the Endangered Species Act in 1999. You mentioned open migratory corridors. What things could close a migratory corridor to these species? So physical barriers like dams, um, those could range from big hydropower dams to just irrigation diversion dams, and then thermal barriers or just the degradation of habitat so that it's no longer suitable for bull trout. So not no longer cold and clear yeah. water. Yep, so things like warm water temperatures um, or non-native species could kind of make make areas not suitable for them. You're talking non-native fish, or are non-native species of other animals also problematic? Uh, non-native fish. Okay. Okay, Maddie, tell us a little bit more about your specific research that's focused on bull trout. So I'm working on the Clark Fork River, and the Clark Fork originates near Butte, Montana, and then it flows through western Montana before crossing the border and entering into Idaho's Lake Ponderay. And the Clark Fork historically supported a large population of migratory bull trout, so that means these fish would be born in Montana tributary streams, and then they would swim down the Clark Fork and grow to maturity in Idaho's Lake Ponderay, 
and then once they were mature, they would return to Montana streams to spawn or reproduce. And in 1908, there was the first fragmentation of the Clark Fork with Milltown Dam, which was constructed near the confluence of the Blackfoot and the Clark Fork Rivers. And then in 1913, Thompson Falls Dam was constructed near the town of Thompson Falls, and this eliminated access to nearly 97% of the watershed for bull trap from Lake Ponderay. And then in 1952, Cabinet Gorge Dam was constructed less than 10 kilometers upstream uh, from Lake Ponderay on the Clark Fork River. And none of these dams had fish passage at the time, so it kind of fragmented these bull trap populations, and it forced them to become resident populations or limited the migration so they could migrate down to Ponderay, but the adults couldn't return to reproduce back in Montana. So lots of changes over time. Mm-hmm. And then in 2000, Avista Utilities, the owner of Cabinet Gorge and Knox and Rapids Dams, uh, began a manual transport program to try to restore connectivity in the system. So they capture adult bull trout at the base of Cabinet Gorge Dam, and then they use genetic testing to figure out where these fish were born in Montana, and they truck the fish upstream around the appropriate number of dams to allow them to access their natal stream, so where they were born, so that these fish can reproduce in these populations again. Wow, again, a whole lot of work that uh, that they're doing to to recreate what historically would have occurred naturally. Mm-hmm. And then there's concern that the juvenile fish will grow for a couple years in these tributary streams, and then they will outmigrate, so they'll leave these streams and make their way down to Lake Ponderay. Uh, there's concerns that higher temperatures in the reservoirs or non-native fish might prey on these uh, juvenile bull trout, and then there's also the physical passage of the dams, which can cause injuries. So to address these concerns, Avista began trapping these out-migrating juveniles and transporting them downstream into Lake Ponderay. And that's where you're focused, is yep. thinking about those juveniles. And so my focus is on that juvenile transport program. Evaluating it, looking at its how effective it's been, and perhaps thinking about how it might change in the future? Or? Yeah, they've been doing some adaptive management since they started the program, so figuring out which streams had the most fish and which trapping methods were effective. But there's some specific kind of demographic rates from these populations. So the exact age of fish that are coming out and the proportion of the population that's out migrating. Uh, So I'll be looking at those specific questions and that'll hopefully enable them to more effectively trap in the future. And where are you in the process of your project? So I just started in the fall, and I haven't done a field season yet, so I'll start this summer, my first field season. That's exciting. So now you're in the planning stages, you're really refining your questions, thinking about exactly what you're going to do in the field, and getting all raring to go to to get out there in the summer. Yeah. Yep. Exciting. So I'm here with Maddie Lewis, and she's a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology, working on bull trout. Maddie, tell us a little bit about why... Your research is really important. If you were talking to to someone on the street, what would be the the sort of two-minute pitch that you'd give to somebody about why your work is really important? So my research will hopefully allow for a better understanding of what influences out-migration of juvenile bull trout, and this will allow for improvements in trapping techniques to maximize efficiency, and it could also provide more accurate demographic information of juvenile bull trout in these streams that could be used to improve models 
uh, that could potentially identify what factors are limiting production. So just getting a better idea of the population, and then once we have an idea of the population, how we can manage it to increase survival with the main goal of increasing the number of adults that will eventually be transported back to the stream to reproduce on their own. Because like you said earlier, this is a listed species, and we're, so we're trying our best to increase their populations and, and do that in a really informed way. Yeah, and especially uh, preserving the different life history types. So bull trout can be resident fish who just live their whole lives in a little stream or migratory fish, and it's important to preserve the variation. We need both of those strategies to, to keep yeah. the populations going. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting to think that you're, you're working with the um, utility company and potentially could be informing what's going on directly on the ground. That was something you mentioned earlier is you wanted to do work that, that really had some, some applicability on the ground. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, you're just starting, like you said, mm -hmm. but if you can look a few years down the road and now you've got a few years of data under your belt and you're putting all that together, what would you say the, the most interesting thing would be that you could find as you analyze those data and, and start putting your findings together? It would be interesting to see some pretty significant differences in fish of a certain age class that either do or do not outmigrate. So, for example, if an age one fish, if half of the age one fish we found remained in the creek for another year and half came out, it'd be interesting to see some real differences that we could predict this. So, maybe higher growth in one of those classes or uh, better body condition. And those are all things you're going to be measuring. You're going to be measuring. Yeah. You're going to be marking these these fish, mm -hmm. and then taking body size and weight measurements over time. Yeah, it's very cool. So the last question we ask interviewees on this podcast is whether or not they have a favorite species. But I'm going to also give you the opportunity to tell us if you have a favorite scientist, and you could pick one or the other. You could tell us one of each, and we'll see where that takes us. Uh, my favorite species, I'd have to go with bull trout. Oh, man. Yeah, it's kind of a cop-out. Uh, I like bull trout to snorkel with and to see, but I also like pike and brown trout and anything that'll lead a big streamer when I'm fishing. So, What makes brown trout, uh, sorry, bull trout, what makes bull trout interesting to snorkel with? I just think it's it's cool to see such big fish in small water and... And then your other your other species go back to this fly fishing thing that got yep. you here in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Do you have a favorite scientist or you want to stick to species? I'll stick to species. Okay, fair enough. Um, Maddie, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today to tell us about your project, to tell us about bull trout. And um, I really wish you luck as you continue on with your research and your studies here at Montana State University. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate your time. And thanks to you for listening to today's Voices of Conservation Science. If you like what we're doing on this podcast, please share it with a friend, and you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. <laughs>